Go now to the book of Hebrews, the last chapter. Good, I didn't hear any amens. I was, I was kind of afraid. I'll never forget this one time. And I can't mention the person's name, but uh, she was leading, she was a worship leader here at the church, and she wouldn't mind me telling the story if I don't mention her name, but I, I preached the book of Matthew, and it was about a year or maybe a year and a half, and I came to my last sermon, and as she closed the, the, her worship time in prayer, and she said these words, I, she said, Lord, thank you that we've been able to endure Pastor Mitch's sermons on the book of Matthew through this last year and a half. She didn't mean that, but she, that's what she said. So I gave her a hard time when I went up to the pulpit, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, we are in Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to look at the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing... Uh, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and, tho- and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Heavenly Father, um, we have gone through some incredible passages in the book of Hebrews about your son, about you, about um, the miracle of the uh, atonement that he um, provided for us on the cross. And Lord, um, it has been very, very rich and challenging, uh, challenging us to persevere until Christ returns or we go to be with him first. Thank you for all of these great great truths. And now we come to the last chapter, Lord, as you know. And these are the practical outworkings of the principles of doctrine that we've studied. Help them to hit us where we live and to change us for uh, in a way that will that will bring more and more glory to you and more and more pleasure for us for following you and we ask this in jesus name amen Amen. i don't know if you've ever most of you probably have but read peanuts the comic strip yeah most people have And, and and not just kids but adults it's like one of those comic strips that a kid can laugh but an adult can get it too and um you know that sometimes Peanuts, uh, the comic strip, reveals some very profound insights on human nature. And uh, in one comic strip uh, on Peanuts, uh, Linus, he shouts out loudly, he says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. I'm sure you've heard that in one way or another. I love mankind, but I just, uh, people, they get in the way. Can you relate to that? at all you know in general you love mankind but there are some people that get under my skin at work or in the neighborhood or where in the church hate to admit it but sometimes we struggle with people in our own fellowship and that's happened since the early church you can read paul's letters for that but um um, in today's passage one of the things that we're told is to love each other and this is one of the of 55 times that you and I are told that we need to love each other passionately. And of course, I'm not talking about physical love. I'm talking about spiritual and mental and emotional love. We're supposed to be <clears throat> in love with one another. 
I mean, that's what the scriptures say, and it says it right here. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Now, before we get into this, these little three verses, I want to say something. The book of Hebrews is written like a lot of the New Testament letters. On the first half, like, like Paul's, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you want to use an acrostic, because the Gentiles eat pork chops, okay? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, they start with this heavy doctrine, this weighty, kind of meaty, kind of wow doctrine. And then about halfway through Paul's letters, he says, this is what you need to do about it. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? And this is what happens in the book of Hebrews, although he waits till the last chapter. And there are some exhortations throughout the book, but he, he says, man, Jesus is God in the first chapter. And then he says, he, he became man. And then in those great chapters, 8, 9, and 10, he says, and <clears throat> Jesus made an incredible atonement for our sins. My favorite verse in all the Bible not supposed to have favorites, but by, uh, Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, he has made <clears throat> perfect forever those who are being made holy. I just can't, I love to get my, it's like, it's like trying to hug a whale when I think about that. I can't get my arms around the fact that by <clears throat> Christ's one sacrifice, he made me perfect forever. And I'm still being made holy while I'm on this earth. And I just go, wow, I'm perfect forever in the eyes of God. That means a lot. Doesn't that mean a lot to you that know you're perfect right now? Yeah. Regardless of how you perform in the Christian life. And so this is the same thing what happens in Hebrews. These wow doctrines that we've gone through in detail. And now we come to what I would call <clears throat> practical applications or um, <clears throat> outworkings of these great doctrines in our life. Because here's the deal. Doctrine without practice ends up in disaster. Doctrine without practice ends up in disaster. If you, you know what happens if you have doctrine without practice, without living it out in our lives? You become right. Excuse me. You become dead right. Doctrine without practice makes us dead right. And have you ever been a part of a church or a fellowship that's dead right, but there's no love there? There's no hospitality? There's no kind treatment to each other? We don't want to just be right. I think we have really good theology here and in our denomination, really good theology. But we want to be careful that we're not just right and dead right. We want to be working it out, and that's where we go right now. And so in these three verses in 13, chapter 13, we're, we're going to be giving uh, um, um, exhortations to live it out. The first three verses are how we relate to others. Next week, how we relate to ourselves. And in the third week, it's going to be how we relate to God. And then the fourth week will be, if I do it, there'll be some final touches on the book of Hebrews at the end of the chapter. And then we're getting into summer. And I'm really excited about what I'm going to be preaching in summer. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I'm really, ex <laughs> I'm really excited about it. 
And so pray for me that I know, hear God's voice, because, you know, it's fun when it comes from God. It's no fun when it comes from Mitch. None whatsoever. <clears throat> Final exhortations, how to act towards others. Number one, how to act towards others. Number one, keep on loving each other as brothers. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Um, again, doctrine's great. We want doctrine. But without love, it's cold, dead truth. All through the New Testament, we're given exhortations to love one another. 55 times. I think God has a message for you and I. <clears throat> we're supposed to love each other. Now, what I want to do, because I think if I don't do it, I'm going to blow this sermon. And so I want to define love, and I want to define hospitality, and I want to define every point that we have here. So here's the definition of love. If you can, again, it's like hugging a whale, right? But <clears throat> biblical love may be defined <clears throat> as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. No oohs, no ahs, okay. But it's good. Biblical love may be defined as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Okay, that's love. Okay, it's actually a description of Christ's love for us on the cross. He sacrificed himself because he cared for us and he was committed to redeem us and bring us to his glory. His commitment to us was so strong that he was willing to bear the wrath of the Father in our place on the cross. That's love. Oh, bless you, my son. Oh, you so read my mind. Thank you. Oh, mm. no, it's just water. Thank you, Nathan. That's love. <laughs> okay. Much better. <clears throat> so, how do we act towards others? We keep on loving each other as brothers. Now, Jesus said an interesting thing about love back in the Gospel of John. It's really interesting. Let me, let me read it to you. John chapter 13. This is what Jesus said about love. He said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. How many men? All men. Is that up there? Yeah. All men. All. Not just a few. Not just people strolling by the church on a Sunday morning. Not a visitor. Believer or unbeliever. How do they know that we're Christ's disciples. By our building, which is beautiful, I'm looking forward to letting our new pastor see our building and rejoice in that. Not our Bible degree, not our theological knowledge, but love, love. I have a friend of mine, I think I might have told the story before, who was a pastor in Stanwood and then for many years, and then he went to, don't try to guess who the guy is because you, you won't. Um, and... He pastored a church in the Stanwood area, and 
he, he had a guy in his church that he knew, I think I've told the story, but he knew how to parse every verb in the Greek, you know? He knew how to, he, I, I think he brought his Greek New Testament to church. I remember back in seminary, guys would do that, you know? Boy, this Greek New Testament's heavy. I can, I can barely bring it into church. Yeah. Anyway, and finally, my friend, who's the pastor, had enough of this guy because he was really kind of a critical guy, kind of a, a whiner and a complainer. He says, I want to ask you a question. He said, when's the last time anybody in this church experienced the love of God through you? If you can't say ouch or amen, say Ouch. It's love. Love for one another that tells people that we are Christ's disciples. I don't care how in tune we are with our theology or our grounds and maintenance, which is wonderful. Thank you for all for who works on our grounds and maintenance. But it's love. In fact, just to throw a few other scriptures your way, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Listen to what this says about love. Now, brothers, about time... Whoops, wrong chapter. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Now here it is. Get this one. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do more, to do so more and more. More and more. Remember that chorus, more love, more power, more of you in my life? You say, well, I, I've, I've loved people in church. Okay, do it more. You say, well, I'm, I'm a loving person. Okay, be more of a loving person. That's what he's telling the Thessalonians. Never stop increasing your love. Are you increasing your love to people here at Seagrove? If I'm, if I'm looking for a church, I'm, let's say I'm, I just moved into Stanwood, and I'm looking for a church, and I come in, and I see love manifested, that's where I want to be. We had such an interesting experience, Deb and I, visiting when we released ourselves from Cedar Home in 13. We had to go find a church for the first time in like, where, where's my wife? Oh, you're over there. 40 years. What was that in education? I mean, we walk in, nobody would even say hi. I mean, they wouldn't even look our way. And we were like, this is nasty, you know? I mean, we, would, we wouldn't even get a second glance. And yet that church is called to love people. Love, love, love. Sound like the Beatles now, don't I? <laughs> and, and, and I guess if you want love in action, really, I mean, can you beat 1 Corinthians 13, right? What does it say about love? Maybe I should skip this. I don't know. Ah, what the heck. Verse 4, love is patient. Can we stop there? <laughs> Love is kind. It does, by the way, we can't do this without the Holy Spirit, can we? Come on. Have you ever tried to love someone in the flesh? You have a, you have a meltdown about 10 minutes into it, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Envy is wanting everybody else to be just as unsuccessful as you are. Um, it does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keep, that does not count driving in traffic, by the way, okay? Um, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what we're called to do with each other. There would be no church splits if, if people applied that. There would be no schisms. And maybe there's a theological issue in certain churches that deserves that people need to leave. I get it. But overall, this really protects the church. Love is more than a feeling. It's these actions that we provide for one another. I mean, uh, just to give you a, a few more scriptures and then uh, we'll go on to number two here. But I'm going to just read these. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Just, just listen to what he says here. I'm getting to kind of a, a climax of God's statements about love. And the last one I'll make here in, in, in a few moments will, will, um, will really peel your potatoes, okay? All right. Let's look at this here. First, or Romans 12, 9 and 10. Love must be sincere. Not love you. No. Well, that's, okay, that can be sincere, but, but love, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted. That's loving in spite not loving, in spite of something, not loving because you do something for me. Powerful, 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 powerful. Oh, thank God for the church of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the church of Jesus Christ. Do you ever hear IBM or, uh, uh, give me some corporations here, uh, Microsoft or, Huh? Amazon, 7-Eleven, I don't know. <laughs> Do you ever hear them have in their, in their statement of purpose? Be devoted to one another in love. No. The church does. Thank God for the church on earth. Think about what a unique body of people you are that if you and I uh, pursued love like this, People would see that. And, 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 and you say, well, I do. I'm a loving person. Well, do you love more and more and more and more and more? We can always improve. And um, we're told that God is love. So when we love, we reflect God. God is love, First John. I believe four. Check me on that. Um, we reflect God. See, I don't feel like loving Mitch right now. Mitch bothers me. Mitch gets under my skin. And God says, what does that have to do with anything? Christ died for Mitch. You love him. Love him. Buy him gift cards. Do something for him, <laughs> you know? First Peter says a lot about love. In fact, you, some of you women are in the Bible study on Thursday nights. Thursday mornings, I'm sorry, Thursday mornings. Look at First Peter chapter 122. It says, that's, I'm in chapter 2, 122. It says this, have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply. Love one another deeply. I mean, this is, these are not chintzy scriptures here. Just love each other. No, love each other deeply. All of us? Yes. All of us. 
Yes. Deeply from the heart. From the heart. This may be the first time in a long time you've heard anything like this. All right? This really helped a lot. Okay. First uh, Peter 3, 8. First Peter 3, 8. It, this gets better. I have a, a method to my madness here. Finally, all of you live in harmony with another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. Now, you got the opposite of love. I don't know if I had that up there or not, but... Um, now, let's, let's look at the main reason. I'm, this is all to get here. The main reason that we're to love, back up in 1 John, chapter 3, verse 14. 1 John 3, 14. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Oh, I said 13, sorry. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Why should we love one another from the heart deeply? Because it's the proof that we are born again. Well, I've been going to church for a I said it's proof that we're born again. Well, I know all the Bible books in order. It's truth that we're born again. Well, I was born into a Christian. It, love is proof that we're born again. I have a perfect Sunday school attendance pin. Loving one another is the proof that we're born again. Now, that doesn't mean gushiness or anything like that. All these are uh, displayed in actions, as we saw in first, because there's a lot of misconceptions about love. Go back to 1 Corinthians if you want to know more. Going up to 1 John chapter 4, dear, in verse uh, 7 and 8, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's why Jesus really, really, for an illustration, put the knife in and twisted it when it came to the Pharisees. They had, you know, they had all the tassels and, and degrees, if you will, and all of the theology. They were theological experts. I could go into that. But they didn't love anybody. They loved themselves. In fact, Jesus described them as people who, who lived for, the, for pleasing men. They, they lived for the affirmation of people. They didn't love people. They used people. They drew on people to get their, their, um, their buzz. But they didn't love people. And that's why they were so offended. Jesus said, all of your outward show is nothing. The whole word of God is about love. Now let's go back to Hebrews 13, our principal text here. And then we'll hurry on to the final two points here. Hebrews chapter 13. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers. After we've read this momentous, monumental, magnificent book of awesome doctrine about the deity of Christ and and his crucifixion and his, his caring heart towards us and the uh, depth of the atonement, he says, keep on loving each other. And that word loving, two things about it. 
It's the Greek word Philadelphia. Don't we have a city in the United States called Philadelphia? Called the city of brotherly love. That's where we get the translation. Philo means tender affection, and Delphos means brother. Okay? We're to, to, to love each other with tender affection. Christians, Christians, Christians. And those who are not Christians. Okay? But, but the main point is believers. Okay, may I say this? The organism to change the world around us is us. The, the, are you seeing our society crumble at this point? I mean, hopefully we'll, we'll experience God's revival and renewal. But God chose the organism of the church to transform society. And it's done through supernatural love. And it's done through continual love. It says keep on loving. Keep on doing it. Keep on loving one another. Okay? It means that love should continue all the time in spite of our feelings or circumstances. And, 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 and whether our, our emotions and, and, and feelings will go up and down regarding people in the church, we won't always agree with different opinions, but we're always to keep on loving one another. That's the solution for church conflict. And we forget that. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look what it says. Keep on loving each other. What does that assume? You can stop. It's a commandment to keep doing it because it can disappear in a moment. Okay? It can disappear in a moment. John Calvin said this. My boy, this just hit me between the eyes this week. Nothing flows away so easily as love. Right out the window. Satan can get into a church. The human flesh, selfishness can get into a church and take that out of the church. In fact, let me share with you some love busters. Okay? Sin is a love buster in the church. Matthew 24 12 says, when wickedness or sin increases, love grows cold in a person's heart. Selfishness can take love out of a church because when we're focusing on ourselves and our wants and desires, we're not loving other people. Self-centered person cannot be loving. Offenses, nothing can make us forget love more quickly than bitterness or anger or resentment at someone in the church. It just, it flows away quickly, like Calvin says. Pride, pride makes us look down on other people, and rather than loving them, we condescend them, to them. Um, impatience, we're impatient with other people's imperfections. Love can go out the window. Disagreements that turn into a test of fellowship can take us out of love. We are to continue to love each other. Keep on loving each other as brothers. We're part of an invisible family called the Church of Jesus Christ. We're in a family. In fact, someday I might exposit on this more, but I love 1 Peter 3 when it talks about husbands and wives. This is really interesting. I, I wasn't going to say this, but I think I will. 
It tells the wife how to treat the husband, and then it tells the husband how to treat the wife in 1 Peter 3. And the, and the husband's supposed to uh, understand his wife or seek to understand his wife and to be considerate of her, courteous, well-mannered, kind, loving, and all, the, all that we should be to our wives. And then it says, knowing that she is a fellow heir of the gift of God's grace. Why do we love each other? Because we're married to someone or because they're my dad or my mom or because they're my son or my daughter or my friend? Not at all. Our highest calling is to love each other because we have been baptized into the invisible body of Christ and we are related in a way that's higher than any human relationship. I mean, that's why the church can be such a powerful organism. People want to be a pla- at a place like that. I know I would and do. Okay? So my question before we get to my final two points, I know they're going to have to go quickly, but is who is God telling you to love? Who is God telling you to love? You say, did you have to ask that question, Pastor Smith? Really, did you have to ruin your whole message by asking that? But who's God telling you to love? Are, are, they, are they neighbors? Are they people at work or someone in the church? You don't really want to go to them after the service. You want to hide in your little clique or your, uh, someone that you know that you're not uncomfortable with. What does the Bible say? Love, love, love. And if they've offended you, forgive them. And if you've offended them, ask them to forgive you. Love. Now, the second, see, you can't separate doctrine from action. Second thing, and I will, I'll, I'll, I'll get you out of here by, by noon or so. Don't worry. <laughs> Not really. But note what it says here. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by, doing, uh, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Ooh. So showing hospitality to strangers is the next step in our action because of all that, who God is and what he's done. And by the way, if you look in First Peter, uh, excuse me, First Timothy three, you'll see that if you a person wants to be an elder, or a bishop, they call it, or or an overseer, whatever word we use, they are commanded by God to show hospitality to some people. You don't want an elder that's a cold fish. You want an elder that just loves to serve and to and deacon to love and to serve in hospitality. Check check me up on that, First Peter. Three two or first Timothy three two, but you know what else? Women. It says in, um, let's see where was it? It's in the Bible. Okay, uh, I think it's First Timothy five ten. But it says women. If you're going to be a godly woman, you need to show hospitality. I really have to find this. Yes, 1 Timothy 5.10. says, you want to be godly? You got to show hospitality. But, but I didn't, there's no but in that verse. Okay. Okay, so 
how do we work out all of this mass doctrine by loving one another? Just ask the Holy Spirit for help. Fruit of the Spirit is what? First of all, the first of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love. So he'll help you. He'll help me. And then show hospitality. Okay? Hospitality. And, and if we're going to define that, guys, it's this. Hospitality, I stole this. Hospitality is receiving a stranger or a sojourner into one's home as an honored guest and to provide the guest with food or, if necessary, shelter and protection. Okay? I don't like the NIV translation at all. I'll just, I, know I use the NIV, and I know no translation is pleasing to everybody all the time, but I don't like the word entertaining. It doesn't set right with me. Hospitality is better for me. Um, Reverend Tom, Peter Thomas tells us the difference between entertainment and hospitality. <clears throat> hospitality is different from entertaining. Hospitality is not preparing a lavish meal and an evening's witty or profound conversation. If I invite you over, do not expect witty or profound conversation. <laughs> it really... Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, people hear me preach right? This is the honest truth. <laughs> I hate to say this. They hear me preach, and they want to get together with me on a private matter, like with at the house, and I can just see their face going, where's the guy that was preaching? It's, you know, it's God's gifted me with certain spiritual gifts, and I believe teaching and preaching could be one of those, but I'm not a chit-chatter. You just, it's like a, a souffle that just goes down, you know. <laughs> I don't know why I told you that. You didn't need to know that about me. <laughs> Nobody will come to our house, Debbie, after I said that. Okay. Hospitality is different from entertaining. Hospitality is not preparing a lavish meal in an evening's witty prof or profound conversation. That's entertaining. Hospitality is a cup of coffee over the kitchen table and a chat about things that matter. And that does not mean a meal, but, you know. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home, my clever decorating, my cooking. Hospitality simply aims to serve. Entertaining puts things before people. As soon as I get the house finished, the living room decorated, my home house, excuse me, cleaning done, then I will start inviting people. Yeah, right. There's always something in the way. Hospitality puts people first. Hospitality aims to serve. As soon as I get the house done, finished, again, living room decorated, my house cleaned, and then I'll start inviting people. Hospitality puts people first. No furniture will lay down the floor. The decorating may never get done. Come over anyway. The house is a mess, but you are friends. God sent you my way. Come home with us. Entertaining declares this home is mine, an expression of my personality. Look and admire. Hospitality whispers, what's mine is yours. 
And, and this could be really inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Who wants? I got things I got to do. I've got to wash the, the sides of the garage <laughs> this afternoon. It can be inconvenient. Like the story of a family that was entertaining their pastor and his family for Sunday dinner on a hot summer's day. And when everybody was seated, the host turned to a six-year-old and asked him to say grace. But dad, I, I don't know what to say, he, he said, protested. Well, just say what you heard me say, the mother said. Or obediently, the boy bowed his little head and said, oh, Lord, why did I invite these people here on a hot day like this? <laughs> it's inconvenient. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie to you. It is. It takes a chunk out of your time and my time. But you can be really be blessed by showing hospitality, can't you? You can, get in, you can know somebody and know things about people that you never imagined, and you can be blessed by serving them, and, and you can, it's all sorts of cool stuff. You'll never go away less energized when you show hospitality to people. You'll always go away more energized. And that was especially important then because per Christians were being persecuted and roads were dangerous and uh, inns were, well, I, I didn't want to use the word, but they, I'll just say they had very poor moral reputations. Do we get what I'm saying? No? Good. They weren't safe. Okay. Now, stranger here probably meant a fellow Christian. Okay. Probably. But I think it, it goes for a non-Christian, too. Okay. And if you want to, you know, I was thinking, I got to hurry here, but I remember we were talking about this in the car. When we first got to here at Cedar Home in January 1st of 1986, we decided that every new family that came to the church, we would have over for dinner. Okay? And we did. And those families never left our church. Now, they left because they moved or took a job somewhere else or, you know, so for some reason that people move. But the ones that we invited, other than moving out, stayed. Why? Because they got shown hospitality. And I'm, I'm not bragging about that. That's just uh, something that I, I noticed. I didn't start that way. People need people, don't they? People need people. They need people. People need people. You say, well, how do we solve that problem? Well, you're sitting there, and you could show people hospitality. It's hard, because we, 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 we don't necessarily want people to intrude on our lives, because we've got things to do. We're busy. Okay? I just want to spend time with my friends. Okay, that's death to a church. Just one time with my group, my friends. And you know, you know where these, some of these hospitality things pay great bonuses? To your children. And they're sitting at the table, and they're listening to John or Jane Doe tell their story. And it's a model for them, from you parents, that you care about people. 
So just pray about it. Say, Lord, who would you have me show hospitality to? Who, 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 who needs me or needs you through me? Okay? Now listen, last thing, one of the last things I'm going to say about this is this. Romans 12, 13. It says, practice or pursue hospitality. Do you know what that word means? It's a word used for going hunting. If, if, do we have any hunters here? No? Lots of hunters. Oh, there's Dean. My, my youngest son loves hunting. He's so happy to be in northeast Montana right now. He just loves hunting. He'll send us pictures of ducks and, and, and deer and, and giraffes and elephants. And <laughs> I didn't know they had those in Montana. But you've got to pursue that stuff. You can't stay home and have a duck fly in your house and then kill it. You've got to go out and get it. And that's the word here. We have to pursue it. Practice, pursue. That's the word. Hunt, go hunting. And you know what might happen? You might be entertaining angels. Now, don't go doing that just for that. But by the way, if, you're gonna, if, if, if we do... Um, if there's a possibility that, that we could entertain angels uh, unaware, I would suggest uh, angel hair pasta would be good for, uh, <laughs> for dinner. And how about angel food cake for dessert? What do you think? Angel food cake? Have that on hand. You never know. But really, it's kind of cool to think about that. But that's not really why he wrote that. I think the reason he wrote that w was that good things happen when we show hospitality. But maybe angels. Okay, last one here. Remember those in prison and those who are mistreated. How do we outwork our doctrine? We love each other. How do we out outwork our, our doctrine? We show hospitality. Okay. And then how do we work out our doctrine? Well, back in Hebrews 13, it says, um, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And I, I think that he's talking about uh, fellow believers here. Now, obviously, there's prison ministries, and if you're gifted in that, God bless you. But I don't, last time I looked, I don't see a prison in close proximity to Stanwood. I think actually, primarily, it means fellow Christians who are experiencing persecution. And it says a couple things here. Remember them. You know, the, the curse on this is out of sight, out of mind. I mean, who are you around that's getting persecuted for being a Christian? You might know somebody that's in a family, or, I mean, they're the only ones that know Jesus, but we need to remember worldwide. That, see that, well, you can't look back, but there's a map over there by the door that has places where our fellow Christians are being murdered because, and, 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 and their houses are being burned down and their churches are being burned down and their children are shot or mache macheted to death because they chose to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And I would suggest, and I don't know if they're out there because I have, 
I haven't seen them, but I haven't traveled around the church to see, but um, Voice of the Martyrs material, Open Door Ministries material, Prison Fellowship material. Get those and lay them at your coffee table and pray for them. You don't have to pray through the whole thing. Just pray one day at a time. You say, well, um, where do I get those? If they're not out on our tables, just get online. They'll send you the stuff. Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors, Prison Fellowship. I have my pile, well, about that big of suffering Christians around the world that I pray for every day. Not the whole pot, not all the way, every per, one a day, one per thing a day. And sometimes I get to the end of my, my quiet time with the Lord and I go, man, I don't want to go through this list. I got to get on with my day here. And you know what? Almost invariably the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And it's like he says, what if you were in their shoes? What would you want them to do? And then I pray through the pile. We need to pray for our suffering fellow Christians all around the world, all around the world, just as if we were their fellow prisoner or um, as if we ourselves were suffering. And that's how we need to look at ourselves. Next week, we'll look at how, or others rather, excuse me, others. Next week, ourselves, week three, God. Week four, last details. I want to finish with this story here. Thank you for being patient this morning. Ray Steadman was one of my heroes. He's gone to be with the Lord, but a very very spirit-filled man who pastored for many years, and he said, he tells, it says, it tells of his shock when he visited the home of a Christian woman who told him of an incident that had happened the night before. Her neighbor had come to her in great distress and asked for help in some temporary crisis in her life. The Christian woman told Pastor Stedman, I don't know what I'm going to do. I moved here to get away from people like this, to get away from this kind of people. And if this woman keeps coming over to my house, I'll just have to find another home. Stedman's heart sank as he thought, how totally unchristian. Unfortunately, that woman's attitude is not uncommon among professing Christians. She missed a great opportunity to bear witness for Christ. We often dodge opportunities to show Christ's love to others in the family of God. Instead, we must focus on loving fellow believers, on being hospitable, and on helping those who suffer, especially those who suffer for their faith. And if you're thinking this morning, how do I do this? This just seems so intimidating to me, some of these things. Or beyond my ability, how can I do that? I've got a very simple answer. Just before I pray, understand the gospel. That's all you got to do. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. When we read in the scriptures that God sent his son to die for you and I and and to choose us by his grace to be one of his children and have the hope of heaven, 
then everything that we've talked about today gets refocused out of gratitude and love for other people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you have shown us how to practically outwork our walk with you. It's not easy. There are things that we don't understand. There are things that are over our head. There are things that we're not talented or gifted in. But the Holy Spirit is our trump card for everything you've commanded us here to do. And they are commands. They aren't suggestions. Help us to do them in joy and in love. To love other people in the Spirit. To show hospitality one way or another. Taking them out for a pizza. Whatever it is. Or um, just praying and ministering to those who are suffering for their faith. Help us to be those kinds of Christians, Lord, and see the radical change in other people's lives and in our own. Thank you, Lord, that our, our faith isn't just this dead, dark, bare truth. It is real and it is life-changing, community-changing, and tr- changing personally to us. We love you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.